So this is a a message not just about oneness and unity in the life of the church, but it's how we think about God. How we think about God. True or false? little question to start off. People can get into disagreements over the most insignificant things sometimes. True or false? <laughs> yeah, boy, that, you got that one right. Sadly, you know, sadly, it's a common joke in the church world uh, that people get into disagreements over significant doctrinal issues like having a policy in the church that people should not bring deviled eggs to a church potluck. I mean, seriously, you think I made that up, but you search on the internet long enough and you'll find stuff like that that goes on in the life of the church. Uh, you may think I'm kidding, but it, it really is true. Popular singer Katy Perry, and I was going to put her picture up on the screen, and I had a little trouble early this morning getting that to load in. I thought, Lord, are you telling me don't put her picture up there? And he said, yeah, that's what I'm telling you, so don't put it up there. So, but... Uh, something about her life was quite interesting to me because when she was interviewed by Reuters, she says, I did not have a uh, normal childhood because she says her parents were evangelical ministers and um, they never allowed her to read anything but the Bible and even banned terms in the, in the home like deviled eggs and even the name of the vacuum cleaner called the dirt devil while she was growing up. It reminds us of just how absolutely ridiculous church life can get sometimes. Is it any wonder she married a practicing Hindu as her life partner? That's sad. It's a sad thing. Well, we can do better than that in life and in the life of the church. And the Apostle Paul, he's showing us, he's showing us through this great church in Philippi that the church can be better and showing them how to have a mature atmosphere in which to build up the church of Jesus Christ. So three verses this morning, just three verses, chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Now I'll just do a little commentary while we do these three, if you don't mind. But let's begin with verse 1, chapter 4. And if you don't know where Philippians is, somebody around you will help you to find that. Therefore, Paul says, writing from Rome in prison to this church in Philippi, many, many miles away, Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown, in this way stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. Now, we spoke about that, and we we tried to unpack that last week uh, about standing firm. But remember when he says, in this way stand firm, in what way? And we talked about that, but let me just remind us, that's taken from chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. So to put that on the screen for us. In what way? And I've kind of underlined, in what way are we to stand firm? Well, in this way, for our citizenship is in heaven. In that way, remembering that our citizenship is in heaven. That means when we get together in the church of Jesus Christ, we need to once in a while remind one another, walking in the foyer, in our Sunday school class, or in our small group, or even in the body of Christ here just like this, say, hey, guess what? Remember, we're going to heaven. Remember that? Hey, guess what? We're going to heaven. If we're in Christ Jesus, we're going to heaven. Don't forget that. So stand firm knowing that we're going to heaven, from which we also we eagerly, eagerly wait for a Savior. We're waiting for him, for Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will do what? We're standing firm with this thought in mind, 
that Jesus will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory. You know, there's a lot of stuff wrong with a lot of us. We're not perfect, amen? We're not perfect. And Jesus, when he comes, he's going to transform, change uh, all of our humble state. Why is it a humble state? Because sometimes we don't say things the best way. Sometimes we don't do things we ought to do. Sometimes we don't, we do things we should not do. And so the result of that is a humble state. I, when I stand before the Lord and I haven't been at my best, I feel humble before Him, don't you? When we come to confess our sin, especially when we come to share the Lord's table together where we confess and we, we, we lay all that before the Lord and say, Lord, uh, you know, uh, help me to see what you see about my life and the things that you see in my life that do not please you. It humbles me. It makes me feel sad that I'm not up to speed, so to speak, as Jesus would want. And then he says, <clears throat> stand firm by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. So he's saying, stand firm with these thoughts in mind. In this way, church, stand firm. In what way? Let me review it again. It's so important for us to get this. In this way, we're citizens of heaven, not of the earth. It gets reversed if we're not careful. All we have to do is go out there into the work world or just out there outside these doors. And all of a sudden, it feels like we're citizens of this earth. We're citizens of America. <clears throat> the fact of the matter is, if we belong to Jesus Christ, we are citizens of heaven. So when the church comes together, we're to remind ourselves, we're going to heaven. We're, <laughs> we're going to heaven. Sarah went to heaven. Sarah went to be in the presence of the Lord. So stand firm. Like Sarah stood firm, like Ron standing firm. And do it this way. We're waiting for Jesus to return. Remind ourselves, stand firm for Christ because we're waiting for him to come after us. Stand firm because Jesus, although he has covered our brokenness, he's covered our imperfection at the cross, and he's already done that when we come to Christ. But when he comes again, stand firm with this thought in mind. When he comes again, we're going to be like his life. We're going to be like his body, which is perfect. Remind, your, remind ourselves of this. Stand firm because he will do that because of his complete power to bring everything under his control. That's stand firm with that thought in mind. He has the power that we don't have to bring everything under his feet, under his control. And then at the very end of it, stand firm because he loves us with the highest love that anybody could ever experience. You've never been, I've never been loved like Jesus loves me. You've never been loved like Jesus loves you. And so when the church comes together and you're being challenged to stand firm, stand firm with all these thoughts. He said, in this way, stand firm. And as a result of this, hold steady. As a result of all those things, he says, keep the faith. As a result of that, don't quit. Stay the course. You whom I love, that's agape love. That word is in the Greek is agape. It's the highest and deepest love that exists in the universe. And he says, I love you that way. And you're to love one another that way. So here's another question. It's not true or false. But do we 
as a church, as Lakeview, do we do we do church like this? Do we do church like this? It's an important reason that we meet together every week so that we can be reminded not to get off track. Not to get off track living in this culture because the world, now this may seem uh, fundamental, it may seem simplistic, but it is so true that we must remind ourselves constantly the world knows nothing about some of these things. What do I mean? The world, most of the world, does not believe there's a heaven. So the fact that, the fact that we remind ourselves we're going to heaven, uh, uh, the, the world doesn't get that. The world doesn't know, doesn't believe in heaven. They don't believe in Jesus, so they're not waiting for his return. Not only not waiting, they're not eagerly waiting for his return, because they don't believe in him. And they're often proud of their own accomplishments, and they have no concept of something in the church world that we call total depravity. Total depravity. Say that with me, the word depravity. One, two, three. Depravity. Depravity. Put on the screen. Depravity is that state or an instance of moral corruption. All of us are morally depraved. That's why, that's why the scripture says that we're humble before God. Because we are morally depraved. What is morality? Morality has to do with the distinction between that which is virtuous, high, of a high character, and that which is base and low and devoid of virtue. That's what morality is. And someone says, well, are you a moral person? Well, then they're asked, basically asking you, are you a person of high virtue or of low virtue, of high character or of low character when it comes to things of virtue? The world has no concept of the true glory of Jesus Christ. They don't know about his phenomenal power over all things. And they're unaware of his love for his creation. So in view of all this, Paul has become aware of a disagreement. Some kind of disagreement has taken place in this beautiful church at Philippi that he started probably about 10 years earlier. Some kind of a of a, of a division has taken place between a couple of women in the church at Philippi. So let's continue reading. Here we go. Uh, I stopped at verse 1. We got two more verses to go. Here we go. We're going to pick up at verse 2. So Paul says to the church at Philippi, I urge Yodia. Anybody, any, any ladies named Yodia in here? Okay. The next one's worse. I, I heard Syntyche. Anybody, any Syntyche is your middle name that you'll own up to? Oh, <laughs> you're fibbing. Fake news. <laughs> Dory. <laughs> but I, I urge Yodia and urge Syntyche to do what? To live in harmony in the Lord. Now, I, I want us to repeat those three, those three words, those last three words. In the Lord. One, two, three. In the Lord. He said, I'm sending this word to Lakeview. Tell, and I could name two ladies here in the life of this church. I won't, but I could name two ladies and say, tell them to live in harmony with one another in the Lord. In the Lord. Then verse 3. Indeed, true companion. Some of you, if you're reading out of King James or whatever, it's a yoke fellow. Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women. 
who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel, together with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. All right, we'll stop there. Let's review a little bit the cast of characters for just a moment. It looks to me like we've got possibly five. And so we're going to list those for us. The cast of characters, one, is Paul, who's writing from prison in Rome. Second one is Yodia, the first lady mentioned. The third person is Syntyche, the second lady mentioned. The fourth name mentioned is Clement, who's probably a leader in the church. And then a a fifth one, which is maybe a bit unusual, you'll have to think about this one a little bit, is Suzukos, Suzukos. And this is the Greek word used for true companion or yoke fellow. And some have suggested it's probably another leader in the life of the church. And they say, well, mine doesn't read like that. It just talks like it's a generic term. But some have thought, no, this this perhaps is a very strong uh, leader in addition to Clement. Now, let me say, first of all, that very little is known about any of these characters mentioned except the Apostle Paul. We know quite a bit about Paul. We don't know much about these other four. There's, there, there, just, there just isn't much in the Scriptures, and there's not a whole lot in the early church fathers' writings uh, to, to share much about these folks. And so we have to kind of uh, read between the lines and, and, and think with a spiritual discernment and take the whole big picture together and see if we can't uh, surmise some things. The yoke fellow, the, the, the true companion that Paul mentions, is not named. And so that's why we called him Sudzugos. Uh, which I already mentioned. And he just must have been a trusted and mature leader in the life of the church, not named. I I don't know why. You know, we had a missionary come in uh, a few weeks ago who uh, served, has served in a very uh, dangerous place, part of the world, and uh, we didn't mention her name. We didn't say a whole lot about who that was and certainly didn't say where she served. There's a reason for that. I I don't know if that's part of what's going on here or, 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 or what it might be. Now, the Clement that is mentioned has been suggested by some that it's Clement of Rome, the Bishop of Rome, but there's no evidence to back that up, as near as I could find. But he too, Clement, this Clement must have been a mature, not just a leader, a mature leader in the life of the church that Paul encouraged. He said, hey, Clement, help Iodia and Syntyche to live in harmony with each other in the Lord. And my fellow yoke fellow, or or true companion, uh, add to this. So that leaves us with basically Iodia and Syntyche. And this is what scholars have suggested about these two ladies in the life of the church. We have a number of beautiful ladies here at Lakeview. See if this fits anybody. If you remember at all in our study when we were uh, in the series on the book of Acts, in chapter 16 in particular, Paul was dispatched to Macedonia in a dream. And, uh, and so he, he, he moved immediately toward Macedonia, and he landed in this city called Philippi, and there he began the church. It was Paul's strategy, if you remember, and I remember we commented upon this, that Paul's strategy in sharing the gospel was to go to the local synagogue, And there he would begin to proclaim the good news about Jesus Christ dying on the cross for the sins of the world. 
and people would come to Christ, and then so those folks would tell somebody else, and the church would grow, and God and the Holy Spirit blessed it, and, and the church was born. And that's what he would do. But to have a synagogue in a city, the requirement was that you had to have at least 10 Jewish men to have a synagogue. And that didn't happen in Philippi. There, he, so he, there was no synagogue for him to go to. So... Uh, so he went, well, in fact, let's just read it in chapter 16, and we'll see what, what happened. Chapter 16 of Acts, starting with verse 9. Now remember, we're trying to figure out something about Euodia and Syntyche. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and ap- appealing to him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. When he'd seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So putting out to sea from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace and on the, the day following to Neapolis. And from there to Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. And we were staying in this city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate. Normally he would have gone to the synagogue, but no synagogue because there wasn't 10 guys there. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to a riverside where we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer, and we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. Oh, the women who had assembled down at the riverside for prayer. Many Bible scholars believe that Iodia and Syntyche were two of the ladies who were down at the riverside and who were there to hear Paul begin to preach the gospel. And people, perhaps these two ladies, were converted to Christ by Paul himself. It's possible that they continued to help build that church, and perhaps even lead the new church at Philippi, even to lead it, and were effectively engaged in helping the church become a strong and balanced church, that Paul was really quite proud of, you know. As we've been studying the, 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 his letter to the Philippians, we know that he, he, didn't, he didn't get after this church. He, he praised this church. He encouraged this church. He loved this church. He thanked them for their, their financial giving and support down through the years and many, many different things. So he, this was a good church. And it's possible that these two ladies were at the very heart of helping to make that a great church with God's help. I would say this, that there are many churches around the world today, especially in hard places, in countries where it's very difficult. But there are many, many churches around our own country here where if it were not for the godly women in the life of a church, there are a lot of things that would not be done for the kingdom. And so we need to give a hearty amen and a cheer to the Lord for godly women in the life of the church. Come on, guys. Let's do it. Praise the Lord. Come on. Come on. At any rate, now having praised the women and suggesting that maybe they were a part of this, they had some kind of a disagreement between the two of them, and it caused, it was causing the church to be divided. If Paul was intolerant of one thing in all of his writings... I would have to say it is division in the life of the church. He hated it. Paul absolutely hated divisiveness in the life of the church. And so he taught in almost all of his writings that it's important to have spiritual unity 
in the life of the church, a spirit of unity. So that's why I started the message this morning with this is about a spirit of unity and oneness in the body of Christ. So were these two ladies arguing over deviled eggs at the potluck kinds of things? Is that what they were arguing about and causing such trouble in the life of the church? I think not. Were they arguing over some doctrinal issue that had to do with false teaching? You remember Paul, Paul's, a, Paul's a big uh, proponent of dealing with false teaching in the life of the church. He had no room for it. And whenever it crept in, he was decisive about it and he gave truth regarding it. And so were, they, were these two ladies arguing over doctrine in the life of the church? I don't think so, because I think if that was the case, Paul would have dealt with it in his letter, don't you? I think he would have said something. He'd have nailed it. He'd have straightened it out right now. He said, this is the way this is. This is right and this is wrong. He didn't do that. We're not told, we're not told what it was, but it probably wasn't deviled eggs, and it probably wasn't a heavy hitter doctrinal issue. If it were doctrinal, he, he, he would have addressed it, as I said. So since he didn't address anything like that, are we to assume that it's something more along the lines of an opinion about something? I think maybe that's it. I think these two ladies had a difference of opinion about something, and it may have been about something that was a good thing. And because their names, along with the others mentioned, were named in the book of life, they're saved people. See, right at the tail end of that, he said, now there, there's, there's division happening in the life of the church. And, and it's, it's, some of it is what's happening as a result of this disagreement Yodia and Syntyche are having with one another about whatever it was. But they're all in the book of life. Did you know there's a book of life that God has? The scripture says there's a book of life. And uh, I, I can remember when we used to do it this time of the year in other churches, and maybe you did it here in years past, whatever, used to have these big programs where you'd run, run the people through. Uh, uh, it was a, sometimes it was an, you know, a, a, a big party, and the, uh, somebody was out drinking and driving, and they had a terrible accident. And I remember one year we had an old wreck, two wrecked cars brought in, and the police cruiser with the lights going on, and, and these, these people in the class of such and such year, uh, their friends were in that wreck, and, and one of them didn't survive. And the, the storyline is, were you ready to meet Jesus? Was your name written in the, in the Lamb's Book of Life? And I can remember we had that, we had that uh, scenario. It was, it, was the, it was the judge with the Book of Life. And, and as the people would go through that scene in our church, they, they, they would say, oh, nope, sorry, your name's not here. I remember some of the people that came from the community that really didn't know much about Jesus and had no spiritual, no spiritual connection at all knew that something good it was something they needed Jesus about. And I can remember some of our folks who worked that, and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people come through. And some of the people said, oh, no, 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 check again. I th- my name's in there. Oh, I, I, my name, surely, my, look again, look again. People want their name in the book of life. And so Paul said, no, these people, their names are in the book of life. So these are good people. These are not, these are not radical people that you should think about straightening out or kick out of the life of the church because they're trouble or whatever. These are good people. They seem to have been strong and faithful female leaders in the life of the church, as I said, likely from the very beginning. Many believe they were 
on par with some of the men, the male leaders in the church as well. But in any case, they had a difference of opinion about something. Now, if we read some of the translations and paraphrases that you might have on your bookshelf or the Bible that you carry, we we get the idea that they were named by Paul as women of strong opinion, who in some cases, in some of the paraphrases, have been tarred with the feathers of strife and division forever to be known as unity killers in the life of the church. How would you like to say, you know, just you ladies, uh, take your name and just say, okay, the Apostle Paul just named me and somebody else that goes to my church uh, for all posterity. Everybody that becomes a Christian that has a copy of the Bible is going to read, we messed up. We messed up. We caused trouble in the life of the church. Well, I don't think that was the point of it. I don't think that was what their heart really was. And if some of some of the paraphrases that you have read it that way, that's okay. You know, we're not going to get, have strife over it. But I, I, I would suggest something different. My thoughts after studying this passage is that they were not immature women arguing over silliness. They were not immature women arguing over silliness. I believe they were strong leaders in the church who happened to be women who had a difference of opinion about some subject that was worthy of consideration. Let me give you two or three examples that could maybe fit today's culture in the life of the church, maybe even here at Lakeview. Something like this. Maybe they had a difference of opinion over something like, should we plant plant another church right now, Lakeview? Or should we just concentrate on sending buses out to pick up some folks across town? Which one of those things should we, should we go for? And one of them said, I think we should plant a church in Muncie. And another one says, no, I think we should buy four more buses and pick up more, more people across town because we've got plenty of unsaved people here. Two things worthy of consideration and a difference of opinion. And the church is getting all pulled apart as a result of it. You, are you following me? Not if you follow me. Okay, one or two did. Or here's another one. Should we take on another missionary field, or should we concentrate our efforts on one or two particular places? Hello, comms, Commission on Missions. What, what should we do? Should we keep taking on every missionary that we possibly can who comes through who needs some help? Or should we concentrate more closely and more in a more focused way on one or two, or three or five, or whatever fields where we can financially make a bigger impact. Two really great ideas and thoughts and division in the church. Here's the third one. Uh, should we start a second service on Sunday morning where uh, it's more contemporary in nature, in style? Or should we just hold to one service that's more traditional or blended in worship style? Both great ideas and thoughts that many churches have wrestled with and done different things with. And something that the church could be polarized about if we're not careful. Whatever the issue was there, and we're not told what it was. I wish wish he would have told us, but there were people lining up on one side or the other, and Paul says this to the church, don't get ahead of yourselves in doing good things. Don't get ahead of yourselves. Don't get ahead of God 
to the point where the enemy gets his little, his little knife in there and starts carving around and, and creating problems like he loves to do. The church becomes vulnerable when we get competitive and political, even about good things. Can I say that again? So, so we, we come together to, uh, today, and some of you are wondering, especially if, if you're maybe new to the life of the church, you're wondering, oh, we've got some kind of divisive problems going on at Lakeview. I, I, I'm not preaching this because of a problem. You know why I'm preaching it? You all know what the answer is. It's the next verses that came up. Hello? It's the next verses that came up. So we're going to talk about it. So this isn't, you know, you don't need to draw any conclusions. But it's a warning. If you don't have that stuff going on, don't go there. Amen? Do not go there. That's not a good place to go because when we get competitive for a, very, a, a certain idea or an opinion or we get political about it, it, it be, the church becomes vulnerable, Paul says. When we speak negatively within the church, or about other churches, hello, about even other churches, it's like, it's sort of like watching, you know, being in, in the presence of a, a couple uh, that's getting married. And, and, and the, the, the bride, the bride uh, is coming down the aisle, and, and as she's coming down the aisle uh, to be joined with her, her, her groom, one of, the, one of the best men leans over to the groom and he whispers in his ear, you sure you want to do this? Because I, I think she's kind of ugly myself. <laughs> Wouldn't that be terrible? Can you imagine somebody doing that? And when we, when we allow divisiveness, divisive speech and competitive talk and even in the even in the community we 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 need to be happy and elated when other life-giving churches are doing well amen that's what that's what we're supposed to do because it's like saying that bride is ugly uh, this one's okay and that one's kind of cute but but this one's ugly and and, and that's not wise and it, and it's not the spirit of god and so that's why we talked about in the very beginning it matters what we think about God when it comes to living in the life of the church. So who would think of doing something ugly like that? Well, I'm sure none of us. When we choose sides, we become isolated from a portion of the church that has a different opinion about things. That's what happens. When there are poles within the body of Christ, Paul says, this is dangerous. Because we become isolated from that group that we disagree with, and vice versa. So here's a question. Do we become more spiritually unstable when we isolate ourselves from other believers? Yes or no? Do we become spiritually more unstable when we isolate ourselves from other believers? I believe the answer to that is yes, if we're being honest. Because spiritual stability, or our ability to stand firm, which is what this was all about in our faith, is marginalized. It's cut back. It's made more inferior when we are not in fellowship with other believers. It's how we think about God, not ourselves. It's how we think about God, not other people. 
It's how we think about God, not the government. It's how we think about God, not even a good idea within the life of the church. It's how we think about God that determines our spiritual stability or our ability to stand firm in our faith. So how do you think about God today? How do you think about God today? Someone said, in the Lord, he said, you know, you, you, you can have harmony, but it's probably only going to happen in the Lord. Because there's so much imperfection in our lives, in our, in our humanness, in this, these broken vessels of clay, until Jesus comes and gives us that new body and that new glory that he has and that power over all things. And so same thinking in Philippians may sound something like this. How do we think about God? How, do, how does Paul want us to be thinking about God so that we don't marginalize unity in the body of Christ? Well, in Philippians 3.15, he says to think like mature Christians. And in other words, Paul has been encouraging people earlier, we've been studying this, to have the same thinking to have the same attitude as himself, which was about one thing, holiness. Holiness. It's about perfection, about, about the proper benchmark by which we judge ourselves, because that's the benchmark that God is holding us to. He said, without holiness, we will not see God. Well, Jesus took care, legally took care of the sin, but, but God expects us to live a life that is different from the world. That means that you, you and I have to be careful. Look, all these young people sitting on the front pew here. You have to, Jesus says, you have to, if you love him, you have to be careful who your friends are at school. You have to. Because they don't understand what you understand. You have to, if you are lonely and you are looking for a life partner, you have to be careful who you let your heart set upon. Because if you let your heart set upon the looks, or the personality, or the popularity, or even the nice things that someone might do or say, and they don't know Jesus, you've got a real problem on your hands. It's called division. Amen? So, so the church needs to remind, say, well, I hate it when they say that. Well, you have to, you have to marry a Christian. Yes! 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 You need to marry a Christian. You need to date a Christian and, and, and do everything you can. If there's someone that you think might have prospects, don't let your mind go any farther or your heart go any farther until somebody leads them to Jesus and you have evidence of it. Otherwise, it's a house divided. So he said, think like mature Christians toward perfect spiritual perfection. I urge Yodia and I urge Syntyche to think the same thing in the Lord that of aspiring to spiritual maturity and perfection. So when I hear people have two, two good ideas about something, I'm watching to see, are they pressing towards spiritual perfection in their idea, in how they want to talk about it, in, how, in, in just how they approach the whole subject? Are they thinking like mature Christians? That's one way. A second way, in Philippians uh, 2, five, uh, see, two, uh, 2, 5, yeah, it's to not just think like Paul thought as a mature Christian, but he's saying it's important for us to think like Jesus thinks. We're followers of Christ, so how does Jesus think? Well, Paul is asking the women to have the same thinking as Jesus. 
What was Jesus thinking? Well, Jesus thinking, I don't have time to sum it all up now, but his thinking, just to hit a few high, high points, are, is, is sacrificial thinking. He, he has a sacrificial heart. He has a selfless and humble attitude. That was what was in Christ Jesus. That's how, that's how Jesus thought. And so Jesus might say, you know what, I think my opinion on the subject is better than the opinion that you have. But guess what? I'm happy to let you have your way, if that's what it takes for there to be peace and unity in the camp. I'm willing to sacrifice how strongly I feel about this for the sake of unity in the body of Christ. But we don't hear much about that anymore, because it's hard. Amen? It's hard to do when we have strong opinions. But that's the second thing. Not just think like a mature Christian like Paul did toward, toward holiness and perfection, but to think like Jesus did with a self-sacrificing love. And then there's a third way, uh, Philippians 2, 2, all are to think the same thing. He said, we're to think the same thing. Wow. <laughs> I've been, you know, been in church leadership all, all my life. And wow, that to, all are to think the same thing. You know, in one long sentence, he says, to speak about humble and deferential behavior. Paul follows up the long sentence where he's mentioned this. He tells the Philippians, think like Jesus, think like Paul, and have the same attitude as Jesus. Wow. A.W. Tozer wrote a book called The Knowledge of the Holy. And it's a classic book. Some of you may have read it, may have it in your library. But it's a classic book on the attributes of God. And it's like, remember I said, it's, it's what we think about God that, that really sets the course in terms of unity and, and fruitfulness in, in our ministry, whether it's female, male, or whatever. In this particular case, we're talking about females, Yodia and Syntyche. Listen to a couple of thoughts. I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm not giving an exact quote, but I'm giving a little paraphrase of a, a couple of pieces out of that book. Listen, listen to what A.W. Tozer is a great preacher of old. He's gone now says, what comes into our minds when we think about God? Remember, I said, what do you think about God? What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What I think about God is the most important thing about me. One of the reasons I was drawn uh, to, to my wife was because when we had conversations getting to know one another, she loved to talk about God and about the things of God. And that drew my heart. I, I, I wanted that in my life. I, I, I felt God wanted that for my life. And I enjoyed those conversations. It's a wonderful thing to be able to have like-mindedness in this. Is what we think about God is the most important thing about me. The history of mankind, he goes on to say, will probably show that no people has ever risen above its religion. And man's spiritual history will positively demonstrate that no religion has ever been greater than its idea of God. Worship is pure or base as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts of God. We tend, this is interesting, I, I, I had to think about this some more, maybe you need to do this too. We tend by a secret law of the soul. That means there's some kind of a built-in default in us 
when Jesus created us, we tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. This is true not only of the individual Christian, but of the company of Christians that composes the church. Always the most revealing thing about the church is her idea of God. We were, were we, I love this, catch this. Were we able to extract from any man or woman's uh, woman a complete answer to the question, what comes into your mind when you think about God, we might predict with certainty the spiritual future of that man or woman. If we could hear what each person says they think about God, we can predict what kind of a Christian they're going to be. Wow. Nine times, as I close, nine times in this letter alone, Paul says, in the Lord. In the Lord. I don't have time to read them. They're all listed here. All nine of them. In the Lord. Why in the Lord? Why did he say in the Lord? Okay, here's the closing thoughts. There's only one Jesus. Amen? Only one Jesus. Your best friend is not Jesus. So don't expect perfection from your friend. Your children, and I might say grandchildren, are not Jesus. So don't expect perfection from your kids or your grandkids. Your husband or your wife is not Jesus. So don't expect perfection from him or her either. And guess what else in the life of the church? Your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ are not Jesus. So don't expect perfection from them either. The only way we can hold to a spirit of unity in our church, in our marriages, in our families, in our friendships, and in our country for that matter, is to follow the one Jesus. Amen? Jesus said, follow me. Not follow each other, although we need to be good examples. Not follow the church board, although we need to recognize their authority. Not follow every pastor, although I, I wish that, you know, whatever we think is good, you would all do 100% and not question it and whatever. Didn't say that. Didn't say follow every strong personality in the life of the church, male or female. Didn't say follow them just because they're strong. I got people I don't like to have to get in conversation with because they're so, so, I started to say so stinking strong, but they are so strong in their personality. They're tough to deal with. You have them down at work where you work. They're tough. They're strong. They're hard. And, and he, he didn't say follow them. He said, follow me. So we're not supposed to fight over the music and we're not supposed to fight over the sermons. And we're not supposed to fight over who's on the board. And we're not supposed to fight over the Christmas decorations that we haven't even put up yet. And we're not supposed to fight over the unchurched kids who run through the building and tear some stuff up once in a while. 
And we're not supposed to fight over how loud the music is. We're not supposed to fight over those things. Amen? Not supposed to. In the Lord is the only way we can stay true friends. In the Lord is the only way we can have a mature and lasting marriage. In the Lord is the only way we can maintain unity and peace in the body of Christ. We can't do it by isolating ourselves into factions, into into little political groups. Can't do it. In fact, it tears, it blows churches apart. And most of us have experienced that or heard about it. But we can do it by being reminded of the example of Jesus, who was humble, who was sacrificial for others, and who walked in unity with his Father's will. I urge Yodia and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. And for the sake of America, I urge Washington, D.C. to live in harmony in the Lord. Factions produce isolation. This is my last statement. Factions produce isolation. Isolation breeds self-centered thinking and an independent spirit. An independent spirit undermines unity. And most of us don't even want to turn the news on anymore. But I will tell you this, the, the moment, the moment that I, the moment that I would suggest to you whom you should vote for in the elections because I've prayed and I've looked at God's character and God's will or whatever, the moment I would say that, boom. And some of you know you'd do it in a heartbeat and you shouldn't. And I'm not planning to do that. But if you come to me privately, I will tell you what I think about some things that are, I believe from God's word, are non-negotiable. And so I want to say, I just want to say to the, <clears throat> to the church and with the coming elections that we need to vote. Hello? We need to vote. And we need to vote after prayer and consideration of God's truth. And we need to not find reasons to beat each other up with factions and political and competitive kinds of attitudes and feelings. Can I get an amen? Amen. Now, that's the message today. Look, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, what you need to know is that there's one pathway to God. That's what this says. Now, if it it gave room for some other stuff, I would would be the first to to say that because it would be a lot easier for me to deal with people who come and say, but what about the people who have never heard? Those are hard things to have to deal with and wrestle with. And the only thing we can go back to is what this says. Amen? And so this says that there's one pathway to God, and it's through forgiveness of sins, through what Jesus Christ did on the cross, that he died in your place and in my place, and it doesn't count for you because somebody baptized you when you were a teeny. It doesn't count for you because you knew something about the Bible story. It doesn't count for you until you have reached out by faith and asked Jesus Christ to come into your life and to save you and to let what he did for you on the cross count for you. And then God says, I don't see the sin anymore. I don't see it. I put it as far away as the east is from the West. 
And that's how you get your name written in the book of life that Paul was talking about. And so I don't want to be too hard on Yodia and Syntyche. As a matter of fact, I want to suggest that they're pretty, pretty strong, solid lady believers in the life of the church. And I'm thankful for the strong women that we have in the life of this church <clears throat> who know Jesus and who are striving to be perfect like Jesus, even though they can't be 100%. And neither can the men they're married to or the men that they have to work around because there's only one Jesus. Amen. And we've got to give each other space and we've got to give each other love and sacrificial love. And we've got to promote one another toward unity in the body of Christ. And even if we can't get her done politically, always in the country, we need to get it done in the church of Jesus Christ. Amen. So, Lord, thank you for this teaching on unity and uh, being able to accomplish that in this world with your help in the Lord. And so help us to operate in the Lord at every point. And I pray that you would protect peace and unity in the life of this church. And I pray that you would continue to promote it even more. And pray that you would forgive us and churches all around the world who have not practiced it and have gotten silly over deviled eggs and dumb things like that. And that we've missed the majors. We've majored on the minors. So help us to keep the main thing the main thing, and that is living like Jesus. What we think of you matters today. We want to think the highest of you, and we want to emulate you. And all of God's people said together, amen. Amen. Would you stand with me? Listen, if you'd like to know more about a relationship with Jesus Christ, we've got pastors that'll meet you up here. They'll meet you in the prayer room back there. Be happy to pray with you about anything, any questions that you have. And I want to pray a blessing upon you as you go. Heavenly Father, may you bless us as we go through these doors. May you keep us safe from the enemy. May you fill us afresh with your spirit. May you give us opportunities to practice our gifts because we fit here with the gifts that you've given us. Show us how and what to say and how to be in this community for you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a great week in the Lord.